Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of The Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Um, Mike, I gave you a sneak peek into my, my question. And for, for the uh, guests here, we always ask Mike a, a brain buster here to, to kick things off. But Hardly. Are, you, um, are you a condiments guy? I mean, yes. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah. Do you have like a go-to, a go-to condiment? I mean, honey mustard's pretty solid. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not a fan of ranch. I'm not a fan of blue cheese. I'm one of those people who doesn't like either of them. So. So I just heard about this this morning and um, maybe folks have heard it before, but, uh, you know, those kind of like freestyle soda fountain machines mm-hmm. like Coca-Cola has them in certain restaurants. Um, so Heinz just created a condiment mixing machine where they'll let restaurant customers kind of create their own pre-mixed custom dipping sauces. So you start with like a base, like ketchup, ranch, barbecue, like the Heinz 57. And then you can bake in like jalapeno, chipotle, buffalo, mango, and then spice it up or down. So I was thinking of like, what kind of kind of mix would you would you go with? Uh, if you could, you know, get a little freestyle condiment going. <clears throat> That's interesting, because I feel like my the first thing I would try to recreate would be like the McDonald's secret sauce, which is ketchup, mayo, some probably relish yeah yeah yeah. but then after that yeah i don't know i'd have to play with it i like spicy it depends on what i'm getting putting it on burger it's different yeah. than hot dog hot dog's mustard thinking thinking mango <laughs> ranch ketchup combo. oh interesting mango <laughs> see i like mango mango ranch like yeah. i don't know i'm yeah anyway okay all right, good stuff. Um, now I have to change well, my pairing. <laughs> good, good to know. Oh, fun fact too on that. So I was doing like research on this for way too long, uh, but uh, the 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 guy that invented that Coca Cola freestyle dispenser is um, the same guy that invented the Segway. So, oh, not interesting. Uh, not the best. Not the best track record, but uh, random. Yeah, very. <laughs> eclectic inventor yeah right <laughs> very diverse <laughs> uh, um cool all right well enough sauce uh, sauce talk let's let's give our listeners a preview of today's episode so this is going to be another episode uh in line with a recent mini series that we've been promoting around augmenting innovation from commercial tech into different areas of the government like department of defense and different federal civilian agencies and so today we want to discuss you know, the talent transition from commercial product uh, into maybe government services or government contracting or uh, a consultancy that's supporting the government. So we'll explore what commercial technologists should know when they consider opportunities supporting, you know, like federal software projects. Uh, And then we'll also kind of like dissect some of the digital landscape across the federal software ecosystem, highlight what skill sets are trending maybe in 2023 and uh, the government agencies that are kind of embracing this, this type of innovation. So um, to uh, unravel the subject, we've invited two guests with firsthand experience navigating the world of tech from modern GovTech environments. Uh, so we're joined by Alyssa Bookwalter, who's 
manage talent departments for government agencies like the United States Digital Service, which is an agency launched almost 10 years ago to modernize government services and user experience. Uh, most recently has been helping scale out innovation labs and accelerators that are impacting uh, the Department of Defense. And then alongside Alyssa, we have Brian Kroger. Brian, uh, I think it was like a, like a visionary in the defense tech industry, um, served as a captain in the United States Air Force. Um, Brian, you know, I've, I've read up on your, on your background as well. And, you know, you saw this need for advanced tech in the military, created Kessel Run uh, as a precursor to your current venture, Rise 8. We'll touch on the Kessel Run story in our episode. I think it's got a lot of relevance to the topic. Uh, but Rise 8 is a digital services company that helps customers in high compliance organizations like the government build and deploy software more efficiently. Uh, Alyssa and Brian, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Well, let's dive into, to, um, I'm sorry, before we dive into, into the discussion, we can't uh, skip over one of our favorite segments, which is Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. So we'll, we'll all go around the room and shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike, you always start us off. So what, what do you got for us today? And well, I now, hope it doesn't suck because you already well, kind of told me suck, that it's going it's it's to suck. But now I have ketchup and mayo on my mind. But no, I'm going to stick with my guns and uh, go with uh, change and optimism. I think they go pretty well together. I think there's a lot of people who look at change and get very like wound up about it and like sort of see it as bad um and especially in engineering i've seen that so like sort of just embracing that change happens change is good and uh being optimistic about it and, and trying to figure out what good can come from this change so that's that's my pairing this time hey that doesn't suck i thought you were i thought you were prepping me for something really <laughs> i like, mean i depressing. guess you're right expectations low and then surprise that's that's Maybe that'll be, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Ah, I like it, man. I like thanks, that. So I think thanks. everybody could use uh, that type of outlook uh, in today's world. So um, good, good, good call. Thanks. Um, all right. I'll, I'll go. Um, so this past weekend, my wife and I, in uh, our five month old baby now and, and our dog, we went for a, a Mother's Day getaway and uh, went out into the mountains out near Charlottesville. Uh, went on uh, Alice's first hike and something that my wife and I would always do when we go on hikes is touch, touch trees uh, every so often. And for us, it was just something that uh, kind of brings us into the moment. So something about being present, you know, being, being out there um, and uh, uh, touching a tree while you're going for a hike. So mine is going hiking and touching trees. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, we actually had a uh, the five month old, we put her hand on, on the tree and, and videotaped it. It was Aww. pretty, pretty adorable little moment. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, big, big, big fan of being outdoors. So that one was, uh, uh, my pairing for today. Um, but let's go ahead and pass it along to our guest. Um, Alyssa, we'll actually start with you. If you want to give us a, a quick intro and tell us uh, your pairing. Yeah. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Alyssa. I spent, Oh my gosh about 10 years, um, first part of my career supporting military health, um, did a lot of stuff with wounded, ill and injured uh, military service members, veterans and their families, which is really cool. Um, and then I made the pivot into kind of civic tech and all things tech, um, spent some time working as a federal civilian, like you said, at the digital service and then actually at Kessel Run. Um, and now I'm at a small nonprofit. I'm, I'm a chief talent officer um, called the Griffith Institute. Um, fun stuff. I have three cats and two dogs, and I live in Washington, D.C. 
Um, cool. And this week, my pairing is um, Doggy Daycare and Usher. Um, that's a little bit probably off the wall, but uh, <laughs> my dog Leo goes to daycare and he absolutely loves it. And I get the pleasure of dropping him off most mornings. Um, one particular, I think it, ugh, I don't remember what day it was this week, but I was just kind of in my head. There was a lot of, you know, stress going on and I, I drop him off and I'm walking back to my car. And all of a sudden I hear um, one of my favorite Usher songs from back in the day start blaring on the music. And I look back and I see my dog just jumping around and having fun. And I'm like, this is the most bizarre, surreal moment, but I like it. And it took me back and I'm going to have a damn good day. Um, so that's my pairing. Nice. <laughs> um, and that's great. Um, that is a throwback as well. Is, is, do you have a favorite Usher song? Um, I just, he's a good artist, but the song that was playing was, I don't know if you remember, it was, I think it was called Yeah. Um, it had little John or something, and I don't, I hadn't heard it in, in a hot minute, but here we go. Here we are. How did our producer know that? Our producer's <laughs> sitting in chats over here saying, yeah, in all caps. I was like, that's, that's uh, scary, but he, he knew it somehow. <laughs> it, is a, it is a popular Usher song, so. Yeah. All right. That might be the most random pairing we've ever had on the show. So that is a uh, good nice. Work. I like it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome background too. We're excited to uh, dive deeper into that. So, um, cool. Well, Brian, how about yourself? Quick intro and, and your pairing. Yeah. So I'm Brian Kroger, CEO and founder of Rise 8. Prior to this, I spent 10 years active duty Air Force. For seven years, I was a targeting uh, intelligence officer. Uh, in the last three years, I founded uh, Kessel Run and served as a chief operations officer uh, before getting out and starting Rise 8. Uh, my pairing, I've been traveling a ton. I've been on the road, conferences here in Tampa where I'm located. Uh, so it's just been hectic. Um, but I live on the water. Our office is on the water here. Uh, and we have a, uh, have a boat club membership. So whenever people come to town, I like to take them out on the boat. Since it's been so hectic, my pairing lately has been boat lunch. So we've been doing a lot of boat lunches. I just had some employees that were in town yesterday for some recording, took them on boat lunch. I think I've done like, I don't know, probably like six or seven boat lunches this month. So uh, <laughs> boat lunch. I will say, though, um, I really like Mike's. Uh, one of my favorites uh, things to pair is optimism and skepticism. So uh -huh. I always refer to myself as an optimistic skeptic. And I feel like uh, that's like part of the leadership OS. Yep. Like, to be a really good leader, you have to have optimism and skepticism. So cool. Love I that like one, that. Mike. Oh, thank you. I like yeah. yours as well. That was pretty good. Cool. So I've my buddy's on uh, one of these boat subscriptions. Is it Carefree Boats? Is that? No, is that no. Freedom okay. Boat Club. Freedom Boat Club. Cool. And what kind of boat was it? Pontoon? Or are you going party barge for lunch? Or what's the <laughs> what's the boat of what's the boat of choice that you take these take these folks out on lunch? Tampa Tampa's got a good setup. There's actually like 16 locations you can rent from, and they have like you know anywhere from like five to 20 boats each. Um, wow. The location here by our office though has. A lot of center consoles, um, deck boats. I've taken my kids tubing out here uh, oh, cool. from this location. Um, yeah, and they they have pontoons too. If we get a big crowd, but I That's usually solid. grab like a center console with a like two fifty on the back, so we can just really haul up the river and go get some lunch. Wow, so convenient too. You don't have to worry about trailing it, trailing it or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. All right, good round. I like that. Um, well, let's uh, let's uh, transition and and get into uh, the meat of our discussion. So, um, again, we're going to be talking about transitioning from you know commercial into into some of these government environments as a technologist, and 
And just to clarify here, because a lot of our audience, you know, they, they don't have any understanding of a lot of, you know, government or defense or a lot of that lingo. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of, you know, start with by saying that there's differences between pursuing a role directly with a government agency and pursuing an opportunity with a company that supports the government, like a systems integrator or a tech consulting company or, or a, a pure product company. Um, and oftentimes these companies, if they're providing technical services to the government, then they, they might be referred to as a government contracting company, just some of the lingo. Um, and if we're spitting around acronyms throughout this, just kind of like spell it out. Uh, Cause I think that's always helpful and the government <laughs> loves acronyms. Uh, so that, that will be helpful for the guests, but um, uh, let's start with, with you, Alyssa. Um, you know, you've, you know, you've kind of run these talent uh, teams in, in multiple environments. But you know, let's maybe start when you're recruiting talent at like the U.S. Digital Service. Um, you know, what were some of the characteristics or traits that you were looking for um, when technologists, you know, were joining? And then we can jump to you, Brian, and look at this from some other environments, like at Kessel and Rise Eight, and such. Uh, but let's let's kick that kick it off with that. Yeah. So I think I think the foremost thing that that I look for and it. It's it's a personal thing, but it was also really based at the organizations that I worked for, um, and whether that was on the government side or whether it was like a DoD contracting side. Um, you really want folks who are mission driven. Um, so you really want folks who are not in it for you know a paycheck or aren't necessarily in it to do the the latest and greatest. Because as we'll probably get into technology, the state of technology in the government is, is a lot different than in the private sector and moves a lot slower, right? Um, and so you have to have people that have grit, that have tenacity, that are willing to take on a challenge. Um, and that again, when days get hard, because they'll get really, really, really hard, you know, they're willing to kind of keep moving the needle. And maybe they thought the needle move was two miles, but it's a quarter of an inch. But that quarter of an inch will impact millions of people or that quarter mm -hmm. of an inch will like, you know, do something to save the warfighter. Um, mm -hmm. And that's pretty, you, you can't get that in the private sector. Um, and so I, I'd, I'd really start with that. And that's, that's hard to find. That's, that's pretty mm -hmm. hard to find. Yeah. Having somebody, uh, especially, you know, if you're trying to recruit someone from the commercial space um, and talk about compensations in, in today's market have just been crazy inflated in the last couple of years. And so when you when you ask someone to trade off comp for the, for the mission, um, you really got to have a passion for that mission uh, because you get used to a certain quality of life, you know, with a certain you know paycheck, um, and uh, it might not always be that competitive in, in those types of environments. So um, I think that's a great a great um, call out is you know really making sure that you're prioritizing the the mission um, if you're pursuing that opportunity. Um, Brian, uh, let's jump let's jump over to you real quick, and uh, I'd love to hear Angle on on this side of it, uh, maybe from like Rise Eight um, and and Kessel Run. But if you're open to it too, you know, um, I'd love for you to share your story with our audience on how Kessel Run came to be. I think it's a I think it's a powerful message uh, on why there is such a need to push innovation forward in parts of of the government, specifically in defense. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, I love that uh, Alyssa hit on two really important things to me in my story, and I think the Kessel Run story, which are, um, you know, mission, or I'll call it impact, and then grit. 
Um, grit's a really good word. And actually, fun fact, uh, rise eight comes from the Japanese proverb, all seven times stand up eight, hmm. or rise eight, um, which is a, a quote that I stole from uh, Angela Duckworth's book uh, called Grit. So she <laughs> said in there that if she were ever to get a tattoo, she would get a tattoo that said fall seven, rise eight, uh, in honor of that Japanese proverb, which is a, a story of transformation, right? So if you fall seven times, you would stand up seven times. So fall seven, rise eight is about standing up greater than when you fell. So mm-hmm. um, grit is what it takes to do that. And especially in the government space, um, that's, a, you know, going to, to my story, I, I said I started as an intelligence officer seven years doing primarily targeting operations. And um, I, I didn't know much about the Air Force, especially intelligence when I joined. So, you know, when you hear you're going to be an intelligence officer, you're coming out of college, like I didn't do ROTC or anything. So I had no insight. I just applied and I got selected to be an intelligence officer. And I thought I was going to go do some boring stuff, right? Like, oh, Jason Bourne. I didn't actually think <laughs> that. But you like have these expectations that like, hey, man, you're gonna have this great technology, there's going to be like, you know, Minority Report, whatever, pick your favorite movie of like holograms and cool mm-hmm. technology. And I show up and it like takes me two hours to log into my email. Right. And so um, I spent seven years using really bad software to conduct the most critical missions on the planet. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the whether you're talking about the battlefield or, you know, providing veterans care at a VA hospital or all the cr- crazy awesome missions that you can do inside of the federal government. Um, the world around us is operating at digital speed, right? Machine speed. And in the DOD, we have the most advanced hardware on the planet. Uh, but oftentimes we're conducting those missions with software uh, that doesn't work or is forcing us to operate at human speed when we need to be operating at machine speed. So I just saw really terrible things happen. Um, you know, everything from, you know, whether it's civilian casualties, troops in contact that we can't support, soldiers, you know, getting hurt uh, or bad guys getting away. Like I've seen it all and uh, like software is a, is a big differentiator there from, from my point of view. And um, after seeing a particularly bad incident, I actually requested to transfer from targeting to acquisitions, which nobody does. I had like the coolest job and then went to like, sorry to say it, some people might take issue, but like didn't want to go be a procurement person. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and the day that I showed up, uh, I called DIU, Defense Innovation Unit, it was actually X at that time, Experimental. Um, got put in touch with Colonel Enrique Odi, and we started uh, what would then become Kessel Run, um, and uh, later joined by our third co-founder, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeremiah Sanders, or Colonel Sanders. Uh, <laughs> Sanders. And um, and then yeah, Kessel Run became, I would say, inarguably the the largest and most successful digital transformation in federal government. Um, we pioneered a lot of different things, like being able to continuously deliver your software to a production environment, which I think in commercial, we take it uh, for granted. But um, Kessel Run was one of the first organizations to establish that. And in doing so, was able to continuously deploy software to end users out in the field, um, iterate based on their user feedback, uh, which, you know, contributed not only to really great mission outcomes, but going to what we're here to talk about today, the talent at Kessel Run, mm. we're able to attract unbelievable talent because not only did we have that mission, but you actually got to see the impacts of your work in real time, which is pretty rare in government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the story. Um, I, I, I love how it kind of comes full circle for you. And, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, was this kind of like your your step into it? You know, um, you know, did, did you have anything prior to military that you started anything on your own? Or was was this kind of like your foundation for 
you know, pursuing your own thing at Rise 8. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably stepped out on my own a lot uh, throughout my career. But nothing ever really like entrepreneurial, maybe like an entrepreneur inside the, the military. But um, I think for me, I wanted to continue achieving that like same level of impact in the military it kind of makes it hard from a talent management perspective as a uniformed military member. Like I was a captain, so I was fairly junior. Kessel Run mm-hmm. grew very quickly to the point that it was now like the size of an organization that would be taken on by a colonel, right? Several mm-hmm. ranks beyond where I was. So um, for me, getting out seemed like a natural choice of being able to continue to achieve the same level of impact. And also, you know, in technical terms, we talk a lot about scaling horizontally versus uh, vertically. Um, I could keep going and doing like uh, vertical scaling, like go to the next program and do something cool and go to the next one. But at Rise 8, I get to go all across the federal government and help everyone. So that's been kind of, that's what drove me, not necessarily anything entrepreneurial, but just wanting to continue to grow the impact. Got it. Yeah, that's cool. And and I want to dive deeper into that, um, those skill sets at Rise 8 and how you kind of evaluate talent and how to kind of prep that. But b- before we do, and I think it's just kind of a little bit of an uh, ironic coincidence, but um, Alyssa, you also, you know, had a, had a, a role at Kessel Run. Um, you know, it, uh, can you maybe exp- explain on what that looked like? And then, you know, just maybe speaking to from a talent perspective, you know, piggybacking on, on what Brian was alluding to. Yeah, um, so I was a chief of staff at Kessel Run for uh, the all-domain common platform. Um, it's one of the product lines. And, you know, one of a big component of my job was finding finding our talent, right? So who was going to fit in the product line? Where are we going to get the technologists? Um, you know, and we had a phenomenal, they still do, a phenomenal chief people officer. Um, but it's really thinking outside of the box, because not only do you have this phenomenal mission-driven organization that really is, was, is the first of its kind in the DoD and has been replicated, I think, like 25 more times now or something, right? Um, But you you have a very competitive market with with salaries. Um, So Kessel Run really led the way on things like remote work, right? Like we can have distributed teams and we can make you feel part of our culture. Um, Kessel Run had a phenomenal, like a two week boot camp to its culture, right? And you heard from every single part of the organization and, you know, how you were part of a mission and how you fit and where Kessel Run fit into the larger scheme and the impact that you were making. Um, seeing it in lifetime is, is absolutely real. Um, and then one of the things that I did, um, just because I love collaboration and I love partnerships, and I had a phenomenal, um, boss that let me, you know, like go for it, run with it is I, I brought in a lot of partnerships. Um, so we brought over a detail from the U.S. Digital Service, and he actually um, decided to stay on at Kessel Run, which is really, really cool. He loved the mission so much. Um, we worked with the National Security Innovation Network for um, specific talent needs that, you know, we could go out and recruit for, but maybe we we're having some trouble. They had a, a huge, you know, newsletter and they had a reach. Um, so we worked with them a little bit. Um, Kessel Run does engagement days. I think they actually have one coming up for any listener that's interested. And it just talks about what they do in the culture. Um, and again, you have to make an effort with talent, right? A lot of government organizations and, and DOD contractors to an extent don't. And you really have to tie the impact and the effort. And this is what you're going to be doing in real time results. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's refreshing and it's a breath of fresh air. And I, I really loved what I did there. 
cool. Yeah. I just want to jump in on the whole mission thing because one of the things in my background, I've done a lot of things, government contracting off and on and private. When people ask me like what what projects I worked on that like really still stand out to me, the one that almost always comes top of mind is uh, I worked on a software product that was supporting um, HSTC, which is human smuggling and trafficking. And like just working with those guys and seeing their mission and knowing that like what I'm working on is having a real impact in the world and stuff like that. That's the type of stuff. And, I, you know, it, that was uh, over 10 years ago that I worked on that. And it's still top of mind in terms of one of the best projects I've worked on and knowing that I had that impact, even whatever small middle school part I played in that. Um, mm-hmm. And I do agree with like everything you guys are saying about like mission and the, the trade-offs of technology. But I also think one of the things that I'm curious, you know, Alyssa um, and Brian, um, you're solving really hard technical problems. You might not have the best software or the best whatever, but in the end, at least I found that some of the most challenging projects I was working on were actually government, the ones when I was doing government tra- contracting. Um, some of those, especially in the Intel community and in DOD, were some of the most challenging sort of intellectual projects um, and very mm-hmm. rewarding from that perspective as well. I'm curious if you guys, if that's sort of been your experience as well. Um, Brian, maybe start with you. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I'm biased. It's like all I went on. <laughs> I, I figured the company to do exactly that. So yeah, um, I, I find it extraordinarily meaningful. I mean, where, where else can you achieve like these these levels of impact? I know um, I'll use a, the, the first application at Kessel Run. And by the way, we actually got to use the coolest, latest technology, which isn't always going to be the case in government. So I want right. to caveat that if you're looking to get into <laughs> yeah. government, you might be in, in more difficult spaces. I think people but... would be surprised to find out that that's still, like, I think people have this idea that they're not going to be able to do that. But I was, and I was surprised yeah. at how often I got to play with like some cutting edge stuff. So I'm sorry. Yeah, to catch cutting up. edge yeah. stuff on like really cool missions. The first application that, um, it actually was like the precursor to Kessel Run. Uh, we ended up adopting the app. It was called Jigsaw is a tanker planner application to do air-to-air refueling. So like when we're planning uh, missions overseas in particular, um, we're conducting air operations, we refuel planes in midair. And uh, it's a combinatorial data problem. Like it's a huge, massive number of combinatorial options because you've got not just American aircraft, but you've got coalition aircraft. They have different attachment points, different types of fuel. They're flying different capsules. And there's all sorts of rules like, this coalition partner won't refuel from this coalition partner. They like us, but they don't like each other, right? And so is is a really cool data science, uh, data engineering problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the initial application, we actually didn't even have to do any of that. Like it was pretty, you know, like standard linear algebra to get to the first MVP where uh, we uh, made that tanker planning process so much more efficient that they were able to say on, save on average one tanker per day, which equates to about $214,000 a day in fuel savings. So the application paid for itself in a week. We had spent like one and a half million to get to MVP. Um, but if you multiply that out for, say, five years, um, I have to check my math. It's been a while since I've quoted this stat, but I think it's $391 million in fuel savings. Wow. Right? Like, Where can you have that level of impact? Like this, this was a team of like a product manager, a product designer, and four software developers. And they built in 120 days and shipped to production an application that over the course of five years will save the DOD $391 million in fuel savings. That's just the initial iteration. They went on to actually save two tankers per day, um, started to implement uh, algorithms that um, make the planning process more efficient so that we need less planners. So there's troops that don't have to deploy overseas. I mean, just like crazy impacts 
uh, that you can have. Like, where else can you do that? You right. know, I always joke, like you walk down the street in San Francisco and there's an ad for a job to go work on a, you know, app that helps you optimize your dog walking route so you can find places for your dog to pee. It's like, cool, bro. It's San Francisco. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) But the the reality here, though, is that there is some some pretty big misconceptions, I'd say, uh, some common misconceptions about uh, a lack of innovation or, you know, just so much red tape and uh, it's, it's really tough to, to innovate or, or ship, you know, quickly. Um, you know, what, what are some of the ones that, uh, uh, are there any others that you've heard of or, or, you know, what, how would you combat those, some of those misconceptions or, or how would you say that, you know, that could be true, but, you know, maybe navigating these types of opportunities or with these types of, on these types of projects. Yeah. So from my end, I think we like to call it bureaucracy hacking. And I think that's a, a pretty a pretty standard term these days. Um, but what I would say, one of the mis- misconceptions is, is what you alluded to. It's that there's so much red tape and there's so much bureaucracy and there's people standing in the way that aren't willing to change or, you know, clinging on to antiquated processes or policies or regs and they don't want to move. And that's actually a lot of the times not the case. Um, it could be education. It could be misinformation. It could be someone quoting some reg or policy that like they've been told and guess what? Reg or policy doesn't actually have that. Or maybe it actually hasn't had a legal interpretation and you can actually do something really cool and move fast. Um, it's building relationships. I mean, whether you're on the government side or the government contracting side, right? Having stakeholders trust you and work with you and valuing their input and their expertise and they're probably most oftentimes decades of federal service is really important. Um, And then potentially pivoting and showing them a better approach, right? I don't think a lot of us are here to kind of come in and make a buck and leave, right? And and kind of go out and then IG gets involved and it's millions of dollars in a system that doesn't work, right? Um, But it's it's changing that. And there's a lot of innovative people and processes in the government. And it's actually a really exciting time to be either in Mm -hmm. it or supporting it because I think we're on a, like a huge change and it's, it's really cool. It's been a great thing to be a part of. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Finding an organization that's hacked the bureaucracy already is like a really Mm. powerful thing to look out for. In fact, actually, Right here on my bookshelf, <laughs> Hack Your Bureaucracy yeah. by Nick Sinai has great stories of people hacking bureaucracy in GovTech. Um, uh, Marina uh, was the other co-author there. Um, but uh, the other thing is, if you're going to come into a space, uh, you know, we get a lot of people that come even out of the Silicon Valley, like Presidential Innovation Fellows, U.S. Digital Service, and they come in with these like high hopes they're going to bring their technical talents, like. Your technical talent is irrelevant until you hack the bureaucracy. And mm-hmm. so like first and foremost, you have to be a bureaucracy hacker and you can't hack systems you don't understand. So like if you want to take this leap, you know, one option is to join an organization like Kessel Run or similar that's already hacked the bureaucracy, or you can go into a new space that you're passionate about. Maybe it's like the VA. Actually, they're very innovative too, but like maybe you go in there, you have to now become the bureaucracy hacker. You've got to go study the policies and the regs and figure out how to work around them. I can guarantee you that there are ways to do all of this. We didn't break any rules to start Kessel Run, believe it or not, 
or to do anything that we did. We never had to violate a policy or even ask for an exception to one. Um, my my friend uh, Dan Ward, uh, he was prior Air Force, but uh, now does a lot of government consulting. He says that it, uh, ignorance of the FAR, that's the Federal Acquisition Reg- Regulation, or I'll just say rules, ignorance of the rules is a far greater barrier to innovation than the rules themselves. And I think that like stands to reason that if you're going to come into an organization, even if it's not government, a large enterprise that has bureaucracy, like figuring out that bureaucracy and then hacking it is the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And, you know, somebody who's kind of seen it from a couple of sides, right? So when we first started Hatch, you know, we, you know, based out of the DC area, a lot of the, the work we were doing was was helping, you know, government contractors, these, these smaller kind of. 8A uh, companies that were winning work. Um, and then we ended up transitioning into, you know, c- commercial startup land. And one of the interesting things was, um, you know, we saw this bias from a lot of the uh, CTOs or the, the founders that they didn't really want to see technologists coming from in- systems integrators. Um, they wanted to see technologists that came from very specific you know, product environments that maybe were at a certain phase in the product life cycle versus maybe somebody who had been building, a, 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 you know, a larger system for you know, DHS or something along those lines. And I think, you know, that has changed, um, you know, uh, in the last few years. But um, the other interesting change that we're seeing and part of the reason the catalyst for, for creating some of this media is because there is more interest in commercial technologists pursuing opportunities in in these industries and in, in, in the government than there ever has been before that we're seeing, which is wild. I think one of it is as a as a result of the economy and and the market. You know, it's just timing right now with um, you know funding being really challenging to come by for for commercial startups in early stages. And there's much more stability uh, when you think about, you know, going and working with um, in, in the government space on maybe a project that maybe is a, l- a larger transformation, but that also means maybe it's a three-year or four-year type of project. And, you know, you might have a little bit more job stability than you do when your runway just, you know, kick the can after six months in, in startup world. So it's an interesting trans- transition point. And that's why I think it's important to kind of continue to build uh, this this type of information for those folks to to navigate because I think you put you brought up a really good point, Alyssa, about um, um, and maybe it was Brian, but the, the relationships that you're building, um, you know, with these stakeholders. And there's something really unique and powerful about going and attending some of these conferences uh, where folks are, you know, really engaging and uh, you make make gr- great connections and good relationships and. And oftentimes it's just like standard networking, you know, but that's that's how you can try to get your foot in the door um, through through some of those types of events. Um, Brian, I, I wanted to ask about Rise 8 in terms of like, you know, some of the types of folks that you're hiring for um, and, you know, what are those skill sets that you're, you know, that you're going to say is, you know, uh, transformative or, or really progressive right now that you're that you're trying to tap into? Yeah, so uh, we do, first of all, we, we do elite software development for mission critical systems, right? Those are, that's our focus area. And I say elite, like we're high-end uh, software development shop. We do custom software development. We don't do proprietary products. Um, I believe that the government should, should own their products. Um, with that, 
we often find ourselves in environments. Uh, we use this to build Kessel Run, who's pairing. Love the name of the podcast, but we're an XP shop. So we do 100% pair programming. We also do pair product management and product design. So sometimes the government might hire us to come in and just deliver an application, but more often than not, we're coming in and pairing with the government to build products and upskill them at the same time. I think that that's a, a trend that I see growing in the federal government right now. And so skills that I look for as I'm trying to hire people, um, not only like technical excellence, uh, but to be able to pair with somebody for eight hours a day, especially somebody who's not like on your team and part of your culture, somebody that you're trying to transform or change, um, not only upskill their talents, but you're also trying to change their culture and work through their cultural inefficiencies and bureaucracies. It takes a lot of soft skills, um, which are actually the new hard skills. So honestly, like I'm looking for engineers um, that are excellent communicators that have high empathy um, that are able to uh, pair program effectively, which we have a way to assess that. Um, so I'm looking less right now at like hot skills, like, oh yeah, I need a you know prompt engineer. Um, <laughs> I'm looking more at how do I find those unicorn engineers who are also incredible uh, communicators, empathizers, upskillers, coaches. Um, so that that's really our focus. I would say that's somewhat unique in the space still, but I see it as a growing trend and if you want to be in this space, I think uh, having those skills is really important. Even if you were going to go direct into government as a technologist, you're probably going to have four or five people on your team who are nowhere near your level. So being able to do something like pair programming or pair design uh, with them is, is, I think, a really valuable skill set to create change. That's fascinating. You can't snuff that out with a coding challenge. Um... It seems like that's a little bit more of a, you know, human, human uh, conversation right there. Um, Alyssa, what about you? And, you know, I'm, I'm curious on, you know, the work that you're doing at the Griffiths Institute. Um, you know, what, what is it that you think is so mission driven about this and how is it transforming, you know, how technology is being built in defense? Yeah, well, the fun thing about where I'm at right now, specifically what I get to do with our division is. Our division supports um, Department of Defense, mostly for the Air Force um, internship programs. So we are really taking the next generation of technologists with an end goal of getting them real world experience, getting them to work with mentors who are federal employees or defense industrial based employees and getting them interested in it, um, getting them scholarship money. Right. And then at the end, hopefully they'll have an interest in joining federal service or going to the defense industrial base or becoming an entrepreneur and supporting defense, right? All of it is a win. And those things that I hear Brian talk about, that holistic picture of not only the technical chops, but the all around, you know, nice person, engage with stakeholders, educate people in a way, the people skills, um, are what we're doing with the interns, right? So they they come on and they have their projects and their mentors, but they also have classes on leadership and development and all of this really good stuff that makes a killer, well-rounded employee, whatever they decide to do. Um, and so it's just really great to see that the pipeline, especially for the DOD, is headed in the right direction, right? Um, because I do, I think that's the future of work, right? Especially in the technical space, whether you're in the government side or the government contracting side or wherever. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, 
Yeah, so we only have a couple more minutes uh, left uh, before we transition to the the last segment here. But, um, you know, just generally speaking, uh, are there other, um, like any agencies um, or specific uh, resources that you would direct folks to? Uh, It could be conferences, it could be things of that nature, that maybe is a good starting point um, for folks that are looking to yeah, learn more or, or, or get a little bit more entrenched and meet, meet some folks that can be beneficial as a technologist? Absolutely. I think um, one just happened, Code for America uh, Summit. Uh, Code for America is a great organization. Um, the name speaks for itself, I think. Uh, really great mission, mission-oriented folks. They don't play as much in the DoD space. Um, it's mostly like federal, state, local agencies, um, but really great crew, amazing networking. You hear the craziest stories. Um, it's hard to walk away from there and not want to go work for government. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, the, I mean, illicit part of this group, but like anything that stemmed out of the U S digital service kind of, um, title wave that came through. So there was defense digital service, there's 18F and the technology transformation services within, uh, the general services administration. Um, 18F had some of the most incredible people from Silicon Valley that came work for it. A lot of people might know Jez Humble. He was like one of the people that really inspired me to build a continuous ATO based on the work they did at uh, 18F building cloud.gov. Hmm. Um, so there's all sorts of really cool use cases. And then the DOD software factories, they're like very vocal and active on like LinkedIn and other social media. So um, and lots of like recorded videos and they participate in conferences uh, like, you know, they were just at KubeCon and, uh, you know, they're just out there everywhere. You, you can find them. Um, so follow them on social media. And, and uh, 18F in particular has a bunch of playbooks. So it's a really, in fact, a lot of them are used by commercial organizations. They're like taking them back out of government and like, oh, let's use this at our commercial org. So wow. uh, definitely worth checking out their website and some of the things they have going on. And then plug just because they're one of our my favorite like current customers the VA uh just because I'm a veteran and uh I think the mission's so cool um but the VA is a really forward-leaning uh organization I think you know hearing what's been on the news over the last several years I mean they've taken a rough uh beating in in the public space just because of some of the inadequacies of veteran care mm-hmm. a lot of that's like policy and government when you step inside like VA IT like those are mission-oriented people working their butts off. They're super innovative. They're doing cool things. I'm like very impressed and humbled by what they do. That's awesome. Alyssa, anything you'd like to add to that? You know, I think I I think Brian hit on a lot of the organizations. <laughs> I mean that 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 covers the gamut, and he's he's spot on. Um, the another conference is the Grace Hopper Conference. Um, that's a, that's a really great innovative one for especially, um, diversity in tech or gov civic tech, gov tech, whatever you, whatever your spiel is. Um, and I, I want a second rep for the, the VA. Um, so we, you, when I was at USVS, we, you know, we had a digital surface team there and they've built out a whole huge organization, um, from that, but really, really transformed care for veterans. And my husband's a disabled veteran and uses their services. And it's, it's like night and day from, you know, a couple years ago. So I want to, I want to second their efforts. That's really cool. That's great. 
I like this is these are different than some of the other ones that we received from previous episode, like um, like DARPA and uh, Johns Hopkins uh, Applied Physics Lab and Brian shaking his head. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think um, I think this is uh, this is a great uh, educational piece. Um, I know it's it's certainly going to be useful. Um, I want to spend the last uh, ten minutes here uh, on, on a fun segment uh, that we'll transition to called the five second scramble. Um, so this is a a quick hit kind of Q and A. Uh, I'll ask each of you a series of questions. Uh, try to give me your response within within five seconds. Um, some some are business, some are are personal. Um, I'll go ahead and start with you, Brian. Um, we'll kick it off here. So what, what is your, your favorite aspect of working at Rise 8? Uh, pairing. I love pairing with government um, rather than just delivering things. Like I love when we get to pair and help upskill people. Oh, you love the pair program. I appreciate that plug. Um, <laughs> what, what, uh, what would you describe as your favorite piece of your culture? Uh, growth mindset. I think, um, this idea that, that everything has to revolve around learning, uh, it's a learning journey. I think, um, you know, not having the right answer up front, not having to try to plan and, you know, coming out of government, we try to predict the future, stop trying to predict the future and start trying to find the future, uh, through iterative product development, iterative learning. Nice. You might have answered this question earlier in the episode, but what, what kind of technologist thrives at, at Rise 8? Hmm. Uh, let me just, well, having a growth mindset is a big one. I think grit is another big one. Um, you know, outside of all those soft skills, like you have to have grit if you're going to work in the government tech space. Uh, grit being defined as passion and perseverance. Nice. What can folks be most excited about for Rise 8 in 2023? more mission impact. Uh, we just keep growing and keep producing more outcomes in production. Do you have a favorite book or podcast on leadership? Uh, I read a ton of books and I always rattle off a bunch. So I'll just go with my most recent, my favorite, like most recent read, um, was farther, uh, faster with far less drama by Jason and Janice Frazier, who were actually two mentors of mine at Pivotal Labs when we started Kessel Run. Nice. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, it's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm humble. <laughs> I'm humble yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm maybe like most proud of, uh, you know, being a father of four and, and still being able to do this whole entrepreneur thing. That's awesome. Yeah, we need to have you on for a second episode about parenting and entrepreneurship. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's something that's top of mind for me. So um, what uh, what's the most um, I'm sorry, what's the worst fashion trend that you've ever followed? Mm. Do you remember those like T-shirts for your feet? Those like ugly Nikes. <laughs> I don't remember what they were called. <laughs> T-shirts for your feet, though. I got to Google this now. This is <laughs> those were horrible. <laughs> t-shirts for your feet wow all right we'll accept that um <laughs> what uh oh, if you could have dinner with any historical figure who would it be and why uh marcus aurelius because i wish i was more stoic nice 
what is a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? Uh, the Wounded Warrior Project's a big one, but like all things related to veteran, veteran care, being veterans, you know, off the streets and away from suicide. What is one skill or hobby that you've always wanted to learn, but you haven't had the chance to yet? Oh. Hmm. I don't know that I have one. <laughs> well, you, I do all the get... things I want. I love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can get back to us on that. Um, what, if you could have a personal theme song uh, that played every time you entered a room, what song would you choose? Uh, Rise Up from the Hamilton soundtrack. Oh, cool. And then last question, what are, who is the greatest superhero of all time? Uh, I'm partial to Superman. The cliche answer, but yeah, that's it for me. All right. All right. That's it. You, uh, you nailed it. You nailed it. We still, we're still going to need that answer from, uh, the, the skill or hobby. We'll, we'll, we'll wait for that, uh, <laughs> uh, at another time, but, uh, well done. Uh, Alyssa, are you, uh, are you ready? Hope you weren't taking notes because none of I these wasn't questions. I was taking notes, but those were intense. So, all right, let's see what you got. <laughs> Okay. All right, let's go. Um, Explain uh, Griffiths Institute to me as if I were a five-year-old. Sure. Talent and technology accelerator. If you like Star Wars, like running around with porgs on your shoulders, being able to use lightsabers, aka pool noodles, to demonstrate really, really cool things with cybersecurity and science, you would love the Griffiths Institute. That was perfect. Sold. I'm going to apply tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what is your, your favorite part uh, about the culture at Griffiths Institute? I love laughing and a sense of humor. Um, I, have, I have a wicked sense of humor, whether people like it or not. Um, and most of my colleagues share the same. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. Nice. What would you say is a company value that is important to you? Yeah, psychological safety. Um, it's it's really important that everybody has psychological safety to speak their mind, to disagree on things, but commit, um, and a safe space to, you know, show up authentically for who you are. Um, and that's really important for me wherever I go. Do you have a favorite book or podcast on technology? Oh, um, you know, it's not technology specific, but the last really amazing book I read, I was a little slow, was Hack Your, Hack Your Bureaucracy. So, <laughs> I mean, we just, we just hacked the bureaucracy. It, it was spot on and I needed, I needed that inspiration and I hate to shout it out a second time, but that was, that was so good. And it's, it's so much more than technology, though. It has a lot of really good um, examples for it in government. I feel like we're just running a, a promo ad here uh, for, for the book uh, about seeing influx in, uh, in sales. Um, what is, um, I'm sorry, who is your biggest role model and why do they inspire you? Oh, good one. Um, I have a lot of um, amazing people, but it was a, a former coworker. Um, who actually now works as a contractor at Kessel Run. 
Um, and she's a retired 05 um, military psych nurse. And I worked with her when I was supporting um, wounded ill and injured soldiers at Walter Reed. And she just really, she inspires me. She lets me be myself. She, you know, gives me some good life lessons, but she's also one of my biggest super fans. Um, so Mary, if you're listening, thank you. Nice. What is a charity or a corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? You know, I, I hate to sound redundant, but anything veteran related, um, I, when I was on the government side, I helped stand up a new initiative for military spouses and families who worked or wanted to work in federal service. Um, and it's, it's life-changing with employment just in general, um, for military families, um, and I got to do a lot of cool stuff with that. I got to talk to a lot of military families firsthand. And uh, it's something that drives me and I'm always inspired by. Awesome. Uh, a lighthearted transition here. What is your favorite cereal? Um, Honey Nut Cheerios. Classic. If you could live in a fictional world from a book or a movie, which one would you choose? Uh. Harry Potter, Hogwarts, um, all the way, all the way. Huge <laughs> Harry Potter super fan. Have Hogwarts nice, legacy. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Have you been uh, to to the um, spot in Disney, the Harry Potter? It's actually at Universal, and yes, I have um, several <laughs> times. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I stand corrected. I have not been, obviously. So um, <laughs> now you know how it feels, Tim. When. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, do you have a celebrity doppelganger? You know, I don't think I do. Um, yeah, I, I don't, unfortunately. Okay. I don't think that's unfortunate. <laughs> do you have any phobias or irrational fears? Um, I hype a little bit. I generally have to like psych myself up and talk myself up off the ledge mentally when I'm going to do anything with heights, but I do it because I think life's not a journey and I do what I want to do. Um, but it's always a little bit of a struggle getting there. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, probably being like 90 places at one time, because there's a lot of things that I like to do and I can't hit the ball generally. Nice. And then we'll close with uh, your favorite Disney character. Hmm. Mm. that's hard yeah um and we're encompassing like modern disney too so everything um can i can i just uh it's it's not disney but i'm just gonna go with harry potter and hermione um because i think she's pretty cool uh, sorry, it's not Disney specific, but we'll keep the Harry Potter theme. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll accept it. Um, cool. That's a wrap. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you both for joining us and, and tackling a topic that is important. Uh, it's, it's very, um, uh, in, in our industry anyways, it's, it's very front and center. Uh, so appreciate you all sharing some knowledge on it and uh, joining us on, on the PAIR program. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.